Life is messy. And ministry is messy. And as I talk about ministry, sometimes we can kind of have this idea that ministry is, is you know, that's the thing the pastors do or the ministry leaders do or something like that. But the truth is, what we're doing right here, this is ministry. Being here in this church, worshiping God, this is ministry. And sometimes it's a mess. And a lot of people know that better than I do. I've been very fortunate in this church to um, not have a whole lot of mess, especially people trying to cause intentional messes in my life or in the church. I've been very blessed by that. And yet, I've still had some, some messy situations, especially in youth group. And um, one of those is Oasis. I, I announced that Oasis event where we feed Prey High School lunch. And um, you can imagine that feeding a thousand high schoolers lunch can get a little messy, and just physically messy, right? We have to clean up a lot afterwards. Um, but it's also messy in other ways as well. Um, feeding a thousand kids lunch in an hour is a logistical nightmare, right? Now I say that, okay, don't, don't let that prevent you from coming in to serve. That's my nightmare that I have to deal with. You just come serve, help out, and I'll deal with that. Um, and, you know, because every year there's a thought that goes through my head. We get about a thousand kids, right? But there's like 1,800 high schoolers that go to that school. And what if one year they all come over for lunch? <laughs> I, I would just be praying that God does a loaves and fishes kind of thing and, and he'll provide, right? But there's still just that like, you know, what do we do? And uh, last year I got to experience that a little bit. Um, in years past, usually there's, there's, bountiful, there's basketfuls left over at the end. We have lots of leftovers, and the men's group gets tired of eating it every week after, you know, at their meeting. Last year, um, by the end, of the end of the day, lunch was over. We had about four hamburgers left. Okay, now think about this. I bought 800 hamburgers, and I had a margin of four. Now, I don't call that luck. I call that the grace of God, because I was praying. Um, and so... It, it can be a little messy sometimes. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what, what, the things that are going to happen. And um, I had another experience. This one was a little bit longer ago. Nine years ago, I had just become the middle school director here at this church. And we were getting ready to go on our first winter retreat. And uh, I was excited for it. I had it all planned out. You know, I mean, I was a freshman in college. I knew everything about ministry. And so it was going to be great. And and then we get ready. We get loaded up. And we're in the van. And all of a sudden, I notice that we're missing two people. Like, ah, where did they go? And it was one of those situations where if anyone was going to be missing, it was going to be those two guys. And uh, just went like, ah, come on, like maybe they're going to the bathroom or something. We started looking for them. We start walking around everywhere. We're searching the church everywhere, cannot find these two guys. And, and I know that they're hiding. I know that, you know, they didn't get kidnapped or something like that. They're, they're hiding. And I just start getting so frustrated. Like, really? Come on? You know, and, and it starts to work on me a little bit. And I'm like, man, we're already a half an hour late. Like, is there even a reason to go? Should we just cancel the whole event and stay home? And uh, we found them, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I've never lost a kid yet. Uh, <laughs> we found them hiding in the luggage trailer underneath the luggage. And, uh, you know, ministry is messy. And, and you want to know what makes it messy? People. You know, this church would be perfect if there was no people here. But it also wouldn't be the church because the church is the people. Ministry is messy, but it's worth it because of the relationship. 
And that's something Paul's going to show us a little bit today. And I want to start by actually kind of giving a bigger picture, giving some background context to what is going on in 2 Corinthians. Um, If you just read 2 Corinthians without knowing what what Paul's been through, without knowing the mess that Paul's been through, it's really confusing. And so I I want to just take a moment to kind of um, explain some of this. And so... um, this, this relationship with this, with this church in Corinth starts with, with Paul going and he preaches the gospel in Corinth and people become believers and he establishes this church. And over the course of a year and a half, he establishes the church, he sets up leaders, he gets it all good to go, you know, but he stays with them for that year and a half and then they're good to go, they're established, so he leaves and he goes to establish another church to, to preach the gospel somewhere else. That was kind of what Paul did. And so he does that in Corinth and, and, and later on he hears though, after he's left, he hears that things aren't quite going right. They've got some wrong doctrines. They haven't, you know, they've kind of walked away from some things. And so he says, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write them a letter. And so he writes them first Corinthians and he writes this letter to them. But when they receive it, they don't, they reject it. Um, They go, oh, actually we don't follow Paul anymore. Um, And they, and they reject Paul um, for a few specific reasons we hear about. Um, Number one is Paul, Paul wasn't all that handsome. And they had found these other guys, these super apostles, as Paul later calls them in 2 Corinthians, that they were handsome and uh, they spoke really well. They were good preachers and, and Paul just wasn't that great with, with words and, you know. And, um, and the other thing was, is Paul was always suffering. And they just couldn't imagine that someone really following God would ever suffer. And, and so they said, you know what, Paul, we just don't think you're actually, your message is right. We don't think that, that you're really from God. And so they rejected Paul. Um, can you imagine going through that? And, it, and it's not just, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, the world will reject you, but really they're rejecting me. And in this situation, though, I mean, they were rejecting Paul because he was ugly. I mean, that's got to hurt. And, but he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, walk away from it. He's like, no, like, he loves them. And, and what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is we see some of this story. And, and so um, if, if you want to follow along, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's on page 964 in, in your pew Bibles. And, um, and so, uh, so, he, 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 uh, so they reject him, um, but he wants to make it right. And so he goes to visit them, and he makes what's called the painful visit. We read about it in the first and second chapter here, this painful visit. And uh, it's painful because it's a, it has to be a fairly short visit. He's on his way somewhere else. He can't stay long, and, and he doesn't resolve it. He gets there, but things aren't resolved. He leaves with that relationship still broken. And so it, he says, he calls it this painful visit. He had to leave without fixing things. Um, but after he leaves, he then writes this, what he also calls, we read about it in here, the severe letter or tearful letter. So he can't, he can't accomplish what he can when he goes there, so he writes them a letter. And we don't have this letter. It's like, uh, Corinthians one and a half or something like that. But um, we can imagine some of what it says is that he's, he's rebuking them for what they're doing and he's calling them to come back and, and to restore this relationship. He wants to restore this relationship. And as he talks about this letter, I mean, he calls it a severe letter. And yet he says here in, in chapter two, verse five, um, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of my heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. Paul loved them so much he wasn't going to give up on them. So he writes them this letter. He gives it to Titus and he sends Titus to take it to them. And he's going to meet up with Titus later on. Um, As we see later in this chapter, though, uh, when they get to the meeting spot, he has the opportunity to preach the gospel, but Titus isn't there. And, And he says he was grieved in his spirit that Titus wasn't there. And he's worried. What's wrong with Titus? Why isn't he here? He's worried about 
the Corinthians, he, he wants this relationship to be restored. Some of you may know what that feels like, to have that relationship broken. You want it restored. And so he, ha- he wants that. And so he actually, he leaves. He has the opportunity to preach the gospel, and he doesn't take it because that relationship is more important to him. And so he continues on, and finally he meets up with, with Titus in Macedonia, and hears that things went well. They received the letter, they've repented, and, and now they're following God again, and, and they're welcoming Paul back in, and Paul's just overjoyed, and so then he writes 2 Corinthians. So that kind of leads us up to where we are here with this, and, and that backstory will really help us understand what's going on in this letter, why he's writing these things. And it, and it actually helps us with just this, this first section here, starting in verse 5. It's going to talk about forgiveness. And as he talks about forgiveness, he does it in the context of what they're going through, what he's going through with them right now. And so it starts out, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Now, as he talks about this person, he's kind of vague, and and to us, we just think he's talking about some hypothetical situation. He's bringing up an example, but he's not. He's actually talking about their situation right then. You see, when they initially rejected him, there was somebody that was leading that rebellion. There was this kind of leader of of the rebellion, if you want to call him that, that was saying, yeah, let's, let's not listen to Paul anymore. Let's listen to these super apostles. You know, Paul's not that great. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, let's go do that. So there was a leader of this rebellion. And it seems clear that what's happened is they've now repented, and so they kicked him out of the church. And they did that following the guidelines that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians. They excommunicate him. But, as we'll find out, is, is that he's repented now. He's gotten kicked out of the church, but now he's repented from what he's done, but they won't let him back in. And so Paul says, uh, verse 6, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Paul says, don't continue to punish him. He's repented. Bring him back in. Love him. And that's something that sometimes we have a hard time doing. Um, Even if we forgive someone, sometimes we have a hard time letting them back in. And there's an example of this. Um, And unfortunately, Pastor Bob stole it from me last week. Um, Now, I'll forgive him, but, uh, and and I I don't like to to beat a dead horse, but it fits so well that I have to bring it up again. And that is this 15-year-old that set off the fireworks and and lit the Eagle Creek Wilderness on fire. And uh, when that initially happened, when I first heard, especially about, you know, this kid that had done it, you know, my initial thoughts were just like, ah, man, that kid needs to know what he's done. Like, he needs to pay for it. Like, I want him to feel bad about it. And, you know, those were some of those sinful thoughts going through my mind. And uh, a little bit later, it was kind of funny, Pastor Bob actually brought it up in staff meeting. And he said, you know, that's the reaction of a lot of people, and yet we just need to forgive him. And he said that, and I went, oh, man, you're right. We need to forgive him. And, and, and that's that situation here that, that he's talking about. Um, too often, because the truth is, is this kid, if he has, and I don't know if he's repented, but if he has repented, he's been through enough punishment. He's had the whole Northwest against him, right? That's punishment enough. Let's reaffirm our love for him. Let's bring him back in. And, and that's what Paul's saying that we need to do. But sometimes, sometimes we have a hard time doing that. You know, sometimes we're willing to forgive people, but we just want to make them feel it a little bit. We want to make them feel bad, right? And, um, Early on in my marriage, um, we were 
we were in our first apartment, I had leaned up my guitar against the wall. And it was in its case and everything. We were getting ready to come to Sunday school um, on, on a Sunday morning. And, and my wife accidentally um, knocked into it and knocked the guitar over. And uh, it was in its case. And so when it happened, she's like, she felt super bad. I'm like, oh, no, I'm sure it's fine. Like, you know, it was in the case. That's what a case is for. But then I open up the case, and the neck is just snapped. And, um, and she felt so bad. I mean, this was, this was my first guitar, and I had gotten it pretty recently, and we didn't have money to just go out and buy another guitar. And, I mean, she just felt horrible. And, and the reality is, was I going to forgive her? Of course I was going to forgive her. She's my wife. I'm not going to ruin my marriage over a guitar, right? But I want her to make her feel bad a little bit, right? <laughs> and, so, and so you do the little, you, you do that, like, oh, that was my first guitar. Like, oh, man, like, we won't be able to get another one. Just like, you know, so you pout a little bit and make her feel bad. So she really knows what she's done. That's not the way that you should uh, live in marriage, by the way. And I've learned a lot in the last five years, and I can't imagine what I'm going to learn in the next ten. But, um, you know, we do that to people. We want to make them feel bad for what they've done. And yet Paul's saying, no, forgive I mean, can you imagine if Jesus did that to you? Let's say you had to submit a letter of uh, repentance to God. And so you wrote out, I repent. I believe, you know, you can save me. I, you know, I believe your Lord. And you send it in the mail. And, and Jesus gets it. And he's like, well, of course I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to forgive everybody. But, you know, I'm not going to send the letter back right away. I, I'm, I'm going to make him feel it a little bit, you know. And, and he waits a couple extra months and then he sends the letter of salvation. No, that's not how it works right? Jesus forgave me 2,000 years ago on the cross before I had ever committed any of these sins. He did it immediately. But one of the other problems we have is sometimes, and I've heard people say this, is, is just that they've gone through something really tough. It's not just a broken guitar, right? It's, it's a broken life. It's a broken heart. And, and somebody's done something just so bad against them. And I've heard people say this, I just don't know if I can ever forgive that person. Or it's going to take me a while to be able to forgive that person. And I can tell you right now that I, I understand where you're coming from. I understand what that feels like. And yet, that's not what the Bible says. Because the thing is, is when we're saying that, when we say, I just don't know if I can forgive that person, you know, we say, well, you know, God forgave them. But you know what? I just have a little bit higher standards than the almighty creator of the universe you know, the righteous judge. I, I just have a little bit higher standards than him. So it's going to take a little more for me to forgive you. That's not how it works, right? That doesn't make any sense. But that's what we're saying when we won't forgive someone. God's already forgiven them. How can I not forgive them? How much more have I done against God and yet he forgave me? That I would not be willing to forgive someone else. Forgiveness is a big deal. And Paul continues to, to talk about this. And he, and he talks about that he wrote this to test them, to know if they're obedient, because this is such a central part of, of what he's talking about, of that message of the cross, that forgiveness. And, and he says, if I have forgiven anything, it has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. That's one of the the, the places that Satan really gets a hold of our lives is when we won't forgive other people. And yet forgiveness is so important to that. We have to forgive other people. 
And as I was thinking about this, and as I was going through this passage, something hit me. And it was one of those things that just like, wow, there's so much more to this than I ever saw before. Because I want to go back to that story of Paul. We talk about Paul and, and what he's gone through. Hey, they rejected him. They spit in his face. We don't want anything to do with you, Paul. We reject you. We don't believe in you anymore. Now, if that happened to me, I would have been like, uh, like okay, whatever, guys. See you later. I'm going to go start a new church with people that love me. You know, I, like, I'm not going to deal with that. Like, Paul had churches all over the place, people that loved him a lot. Like, just forget about the Corinthians and go to, go to the other places that will listen to you. And, and that's what a lot of us would, and that's what a lot of pastors do, right? If a church rejects them, just like, see you guys later. I'm going to go find people that love me. And in a lot of ways, it's like, Paul should have done that, right? Why did he even bother? But he didn't. Because he loved them so much, because of that relationship he had with them, he loved them so much that he just forgave them immediately. And then he sought to restore the relationship with them. They rejected him, but he forgave them. And he sought to restore that relationship with them. That's what he wanted. Now, does that sound like anything else in the Bible to you? Does that sound like maybe another story? That's Jesus, right? That's what Jesus did for us. Paul is literally being Jesus to the Corinthians. He's living out the message of the gospel in this relationship that he has with them. And how powerful is that? We talk about practicing what you preach. He's preaching what he's already practicing. He's already forgiven them. And that's Jesus. And he's showing them Jesus in the midst of that. And that's so powerful and that's so wonderful. And that'll change the way you smell. That might sound a little weird. But this next section, Paul talks a little bit about that. So I have a question for you. What do you smell like? And if we all want to just turn to our neighbor and smell him. (laughs) Now, do they smell like Jesus? Paul continues on in this, and, and he, he, he talks about this story that I mentioned earlier where he, he goes to Troas, to this place where the gospel, people want to hear it, and he has an open door, he can share it, and yet Titus isn't there, and he wants to know what's going on with this church, what's going on with Titus, where is he? And that relationship is so important to him that he continues on, and he, he doesn't take advantage of, I, I think probably one of his favorite things to do in the world, which was preach the gospel. He doesn't take advantage of that, and instead he continues on so that he can reunite with Titus, so that he can figure out what's going on with the Corinthians. And so you might kind of feel like, oh man, that was a missed opportunity. Shouldn't he have stayed and, and preached the gospel? But then Paul says, and this is in verse 14 here, but thanks be to God. Even though I, had, even though I didn't get a chance to do that, even though I, I, I left, thanks be to God anyways, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And he's giving this example here uh, that we don't understand quite as well, but it's, it's kind of this triumphal procession is this Roman uh, victory parade. The, the Romans would, would conquer, would defeat, and they'd come back through Rome and they'd have this parade with the army leading the captives that they just defeated behind them. And, and so they had this Ro- Roman victory parade. And if you think about a parade coming through a city and just hearing that and seeing that and, and that excitement of victory, and yet um, there, there's something else here too. Uh, and with this parade, they would, they would light incense. And so there would this be aroma that would come out of this parade. You could actually smell the parade. And I imagine that maybe even throughout the city, if you couldn't see or hear it at the time, you could smell it and you would know what was going on. 
And so there's this strong, this strong smell. And Paul's saying that as I live this out, people smell me. As I go, as I go throughout these towns, people smell the gospel on me. They smell forgiveness. They smell Jesus. And that's something we have an opportunity to do as well. But as he talks about this, this smell, he says, um, for we are an aroma to Christ of, sorry, we are aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. You see, different things smell different um, to, to different people, right? Um, something that might smell good to one person smells bad to another. And that's what he's saying about, about that message of the gospel, about forgiveness. Some people are going to like this, some people aren't. Um, and, that, and that happens with different smells, right? And, and there's something really powerful about smells. It brings up memory, doesn't it? You ever have that where you get a whiff of something and it takes you back somewhere? Every once in a while, this, this smell hits me. It takes me back to my elementary school cafeteria. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but, you know, it's just one of those weird things. And, uh, you know, another one for me that, you know, we talk about things, this might smell good to one person or bad to another, and kind of a weird, kind of sad example of it in my life. Most people really don't like the smell of, of cigarettes, right? Like, oh, you try to avoid people that are smoking, and like, oh, I don't want to smell that. Like, oh, you're coughing. Um, but to me, cigarettes smell good. Um, and it's not because I smoke or used to smoke or anything like that, uh, but my grandpa did. And so cigarettes remind me of my grandpa, who happened to die of lung cancer because of smoking. And yet it's still that positive, I get that, that memory of, of that relationship that I had with him. And, and so this is going to smell different to different people. That forgiveness, what does that smell like? What do you hear when you hear a story of forgiveness? As I shared earlier about the, the, the kid lighting the forest on fire with fireworks, right? As I called to forgive him, let's forgive him. Did you go, did you go, yeah, yeah, because that reminds me of Jesus. And that reminds me of how much God has forgiven me and that's just a blessing in my life. Yeah, of course we're going to forgive him. That's wonderful. Or did you go, no, we shouldn't forgive him. He deserves what he gets. It's, it's life to life and death to that, to death. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who will perish, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not everybody's going to like the way you smell, but make sure you smell like Jesus because those that are in him or those that, that are going to be in him, they'll smell that forgiveness and they'll go, yeah, that's what this is about. And we have an opportunity to do that in our lives. Paul lived out the gospel in his relationship with the Corinthians. And there's something I want to tell you guys today. This, this series is called Authentic Discipleship. And I haven't said those words in this sermon yet today, and yet it's been all throughout it. And so I want to give you a statement. It's at the bottom of your insert. It's going to be up on the screen. I want you to remember this. Authentic discipleship happens when we live out the gospel in relationship with other people. That authentic discipleship, that following Christ, that happens when we live out the gospel, when we live out forgiveness in relationship with other people. That's what Paul was doing. And how much of a testimony was that to these Corinthians? And there's a couple things that are going on here. The first is relationship. 
This happens in relationship. The hermit that lives off by himself and doesn't talk to anyone can't live out the gospel because he's not around other people. But we are here today together. We're in relationship with one another. So we have that opportunity to live out the gospel. And, and what are those relationships that you're in? You see, someone could come in here around 1047. They could sneak in, sit down, not talk to anybody. And, and they could sit here and they could worship God. They could listen to the word. They could pray. And then, you know, around 1158, they just sneak out the back and, and, and go home. And yet, is that what this church is about? It's not. They're missing out on the opportunity to hear the gospel in their relationships with other people. And these growth groups that were starting up new ones and were, were, were restarting old ones and some have just continued on, those are opportunities to live out the gospel. You know, I was thinking, I bet if I went and talked to the Tuesday morning women's Bible study, that, that if I talked to them about what they really appreciate, what they really get out of this Bible study is, I, I bet it wouldn't just be that, oh, it's a great Bible study, I learned a lot about God. I'm sure that's part of it, but I bet the number one thing is just, it's awesome to get together with these other ladies and have this relationship with them. That's why we like going to church events, to going to those things, right, is that relationship we get with other people. And that's the number one purpose of those growth groups, is to be in relationship with one another so we have the opportunity to show them the gospel with our lives. But the other side of that is forgiveness. That forgiveness we talk about, that's that central part of this message of the cross, of what Jesus has done for us. That central part of it is forgiveness, that he is forgiveness. And I can tell you, if you're in relationships with other people, you're going to have many opportunities to forgive them because we're a mess, right? We're messy people. And as I see this church, become more and more of a family. And I, and I believe that I have seen that over the last few months. Just I see us growing closer together, becoming more of a family. That's so wonderful. And yet some people might look at that and go, man, fam families are messy, right? Your family might be a mess. I, don't, I, don't, I just want to stay out of that. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want other people to hurt me. And yet don't look at it that way. Look at it as an opportunity. Man, as we get more like a family, there's going to be a mess. There's going to be difficulties. And people are going to do stuff against me. But you know what? That's just an opportunity to live out the gospel in their life. I can't wait to show people Jesus by forgiving them. And you know what? There's a not pretty good chance that you will get the opportunity to show me Jesus by forgiving me. Because I'm not perfect and I'm going to mess up. And if you stick around for a little while, you'll probably get that opportunity. And I can't wait, not to hurt you, but for you to forgive me, to show me the gospel once again. Because we need that spoken into our lives every day. We need to be reminded of that every day. And that's what we see. This, this, this whole thing in life is about this relationship with God, is about this relationship with other believers. And we're here as a church, not just to, not just to read our Bibles and be good Christians. We're here to get into a mess with one another so that we can show each other the gospel. Paul talks about at the end of this section how he says we aren't, we aren't peddlers of God's word, um, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Some of those super apostles that had come to the Corinthians, they were charging people to tell them the gospel. Hey, I got a great message for you. Give me money and I'll tell you about it. And um, Paul's saying, that no, that's not us. This isn't about the money for us. He says, 
we just do this out of sincerity. We do this out of what Jesus has already done for us. And as we receive this offering this morning, I don't want you to give based on how well the preacher did. That's not what it's about. I can tell you guys right now that I'm not doing this for the money. I'm not doing it to get paid because that's not what it's about. The reason why I'm up here right now talking to you guys is because the gospel has been lived in me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to tell all of you about that because I want to live the gospel out even here on this stage to show you what Jesus has done for you because there's nothing that can compare to that. So, you're going to have to get in relationships with other people and it may be a mess, but that's just an opportunity to live out the gospel, to show people what it is to be an authentic disciple, to really be a true follower of Christ is to forgive one another. And that's not always going to be easy. It's going to be hard. We're going to struggle with it. And yet we need to be keep, keep coming back and remembering what Jesus has done for us because if he has forgiven us, how can I not forgive other people? So I want to encourage all of you today to step into that. You have an opportunity to forgive people. And I think we're blessed as a church. I, I don't know of any situations right now where there needs to be forgiveness. I'm not going to be tapping anybody on the shoulder after this and saying that was for you. You know, the, the, I don't see anything in the church like that happening. And yet, I know that there's a lot of you out there that need to forgive people. And maybe they're not in this church. Maybe they are. But there's, there's that private life where I need to forgive somebody. And I want to encourage you that even before we go back into worship to make that right. The Bible talks about, you know, if you realize that you, you and your brother have something in between you, leave the altar. Don't even offer your sacrifice. Make that right and then come back. Before you worship, make that right. And that may be stepping out and making a phone call. It may be tapping somebody on the shoulder. It may just be between you and God and saying, God, I thought I forgave that person, but I really didn't. I need to forgive them. Because as you do that, as you step into that forgiveness here in this church, as you do that, then when you walk outside, you're going to start smelling a little bit different. And people are going to smell you. And not everybody's going to like it, but that's okay. Those that God has chosen, those that God has given us, they will smell you and they will go, either, yeah, that's Jesus. Tell me the gospel. Or, what's that smell? And say, oh, let me tell you about that. That's Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me, because that is the best way we can witness to other people is by living out what God has already lived in to us. So let's step out. Let's do that in these messy relationships that we have with each other. Would you pray with me? Lord, God, we give you praise and glory, God, for what you've done in us. God, that you have forgiven us. God, we, we turned our backs on you. We spit in your face, God. We, and yet you forgave us. And you went, you, you came down to this mess of an earth and you died on the cross. You took the wrath of God on yourself for us in order to restore that relationship that we had with you, Lord. And I pray right now, God, that you would remind us of that, God. And you would show us how to live that out by forgiving one another. God, we can't hold on to this anymore, Lord. I pray that you would help us to do that, to step in to living out your message by forgiving one another, Lord. And I pray that that would have an impact on the community, on the world around us, and that people would see that we're different and they would desire 
to have that same thing for themselves, God, and you would give us an opportunity to share the gospel because of the way we've been living our lives. Lord, do your great work in us, even though we don't deserve it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.